My time as a stay-at-home mom is finished. Yeah. But we are still churning out episodes. Welcome back to the working world. Yeah. I'm Aaron. I'm Tom. And this is Baby's First Watch List, the podcast that is miraculously still being recorded, even though it's dark outside. And I've fallen asleep at 8 p.m. every day this week. Which is in eight minutes. Um. Yeah, so who knows? Also... My auntie just texted me that there there's a dunking the groom thing at the wedding she's Let's at. Let's go. That's kind of awesome. We got to bring that back. <laughs> now that I've already had a wedding, we got to bring it back. Um, so it's our first September episode. And September is always... Welcome to fall, baby. It's always an interesting month. It was like 90 degrees this week in New Jersey. School starts. Football's back. I got the best Titan in the business right now on my fantasy team. <laughs> Shout out to TJ Hawken- Hawkinson. Hawkinson. <laughs> my guy. <laughs> he's going to get me. He's going to give me all the points. Um, so anyway, we're covering. Watch like something awful happened to him between now and Tuesday. <laughs> no, we are covering the Royal Tenenbaums, the yes. winner of the Wes Anderson poll. Yes. Was it close? You guys, it was one one by one or two votes over the Grand Budapest Hotel. Not so much love for Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I, you know, candidly was kind of hoping would win. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad we watched this one. I thought it was great. I've already seen this one, but I liked it a lot more this time. So I'm glad that we I remember we you saying it. that you weren't a big fan of it when we had previously talked about it. I liked it a lot more. I watched it when we were at uh, in Plainsboro in our old condo oh really yeah i guess i wasn't there for you whatever weren't reason. there for whatever reason um so the royal tenenbaums was director wes anderson's wesley anderson's third film after bottle rocket and rushmore i've seen rushmore i have not seen bottle Rocket. you've seen a lot of wes anderson stuff yeah i've seen more than you yeah um wes anderson is known for his distinctive style i guess it's kind of just like it's hard to describe it. It's, it's eccentric. It's been memed a little bit. It's oh, I talk about that. Okay, I, I talk about that. It, Don't worry. He, you know when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie. That's it. It's very visually distinctive. I and I it's don't know. Very like twee. Yes, twee. Um, yes, it is, and it works sometimes really like, well, and sometimes of, it doesn't. Sometimes it's tongue in cheek, and it's meant not to be, and like vice versa. It's like got a weird. All of them have weird tones. The the uh, three that i've seen the three that i've seen all have weird tones um and he's kind of seen as a modern day auteur yeah which i agree with sure he writes his stuff he has a certain point of view yeah um and the people that love him love him like he has stands yeah and honestly i used to be of the mind that people with stands like that make like the stands turn me off of watching that person Mm -hmm. or listening to them or whatever and that is the case a little bit here with him but the fact that there are so many arted defenders make me in case you haven't in case you can't tell i didn't love i like grand budapest hotel but i didn't like moonrise kingdom so i i came into this one being like i don't really know but the fact that he has so many fans that are like vigorous fans of his sort of makes me want to watch more just to see if i get it and with this one i did get it mm-hmm. i understand it with royal, uh, royal tenet bombs mm-hmm. yeah totally um so he's been nominated for seven Academy Awards. He has not won yet. Two for best never even for like a well, I guess he wouldn't be nominated for production design or costume yeah. design or anything. Yeah. So um, he's been nominated twice for animated feature for Fantastic Mr. Fox Isle and of Isle of Dogs. He's been nominated for best picture um, Grand Budapest. for Grand Budapest Hotel, best director for that, and then he's got a couple screenplay noms. This like one was this up for screenplay. Up for screenplay. Um, he co-wrote the Royal Tenenbaums with actor Owen Wilson, who wow. has, uh, who was his college roommate at UT Austin. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. And like Bottle Rocket, like he, a lot of his early stuff was like alongside of Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's Luke, clearly, Wes Anderson's clearly a person that makes connections with people. Yeah. Cause he works with the same actors all the time. Mm-hmm. And Luke Wilson was also in Bottle Rocket too. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, cinematographer. Oh, and, uh, randomly James Conn was in his first movie. Really? Imagine you get James Conn for your first movie. Like, that's awesome. Um, so the cinematographer, and there's going to be some names here that I'm like, just going to butcher, I think, but, uh, Robert Yalman, I think he has done nine collaborations with Wes Anderson. This is what I kind of expect that like he works with 
the same people like behind the scenes too but that's not always the case it turns out yeah um robert yalman though his cinematographer yes he's oscar nominated for grand buddha best hotel and this cinematographer my guy robert also frequently works with paul fag on movies like bridesmaids and spy he did four movies with him Hmm. and he also shot squid in the whale and he also shot an upcoming movie called The Collaboration. Have you heard about this movie? Name sounds familiar. It's about artists uh, Warhol and Basquiat. Oh. And Warhol's play- yeah, Andy Warhol's played now. by Paul Bettany. Yes. And Basquiat's uh, Jeremy Pope. Daniel Brühl is in it too. Yep. And it's uh, the director's directorial debut. Kwame something. Cool. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Kwame Kwe Arma. Yeah, his uh, first movie. So the editor... Who, He's a playwright. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What did he do? Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't want to s- skim through it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, editor Dylan... Uh, the editor... Uh, Dylan... T-I-C-H-E-N-O-R. Tishner? Tishner? Sure. Uh, he started his career as Geraldine Peroni's assistant director. And so she worked on a lot of Robert Altman's films. Oh, so cool. his first kind of big stuff that he did was being the assistant editor on a bunch of Robert Altman films. He also helped edited um, Brokeback Mountain for her after her passing. So she died while editing Brokeback Mountain. And so then he picked up and finished it. Um, he edits many of Paul Thomas Anderson's films. He's done like, a lot of stuff. I'm a at right lot here. of them. And he's been Oscar nominated twice. Once for PTA's There Will Be Blood and for Catherine Bigelow's Zero Dark Thirty. Weirdly, though, this is his only movie with Wes Anderson. Hmm. But it feels like like this movie is like the Wes Anderson edited movie for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, but so that's kind of interesting. He also did Phantom Thread. He did Doubt, which we love. Yep. He did the assassination of, of Jesse James. Yep. He did Unbreakable. He's an M Night guy. There you go. Yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. Doubt is such a good movie. I yeah, love that movie. Doubt's the best. The town he did. There you go. We're Aff like heads, especially after this weekend. We watched Hypnotic. Which is apparently a movie. <laughs> it was I was fine. It was fine. Um the music for the Royal Tenenbaums was credited to King Mark Mothersbaugh. Yes. Who um of, is of Devo and 21 Jump Street yes. fame. And Rugrats. He's done a million things. I went through his Wikipedia today. Like I can't We're in even, our mother's ball era. What can I say? I can't even begin to tell yeah. you how yeah, many yeah, yeah, movies yeah. he did. Um, and TV shows. He And it's so funny because like you're like, oh, he does so much like big stuff. But he also just like, he did all the the like Nickelodeon movies yeah. too. Yeah. Like it's awesome. He whips it. Whips it good. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the soundtrack actually consists of rock songs from anywhere from like the 1960s to the 1990s. Hey, there was like a 10 minute Hey Jude in the beginning. Yeah. That started off. And I'll, I'll talk more about that whole like spanning decades in a little bit. Um, the cast here is stacked. We've got Gene Hackman, Danny Glover, Angelica Houston, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, Ben Stiller, and Bill Murray with narration by Alec Baldwin. Um, Baldwin... He picked this for his like criteria collection. Criterion, yeah. Yeah, or criterion collection. And he said that he considers this back to Robert Altman, he considers this uh the most unique like movie to come out of like cinema since MASH. Okay. Um he I, I don't know if I got that exactly right, but it's one of those things where it's like the most uh, a very unique perspective yeah. um that he hasn't seen since Robert Altman's MASH. Um, which we watched Nashville. Um, we watched Nashville a couple of weeks ago and Robert Altman, man, he's got a perspective. Yeah. Even Gosford Park, which was his l- last movie or one of his late movies. One of his, he did Prairie Home Companion, I think after that. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, yeah one of his later movies. We got to watch more Altman. We got to watch more Altman. Everybody's got to watch more Altman. Definitely. Definitely. If you've seen it all, rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anderson had many influences when developing the film, including his own parents' divorce. Okay. Um, Noah Baumbach vibes. Yes. French director Louis Malle's The Fire Within, Orson Welles's The Magnificent Ambersons. Oh, that's uh, that's one that's like, there's like all this controversy over that one because that was the one where, like, Orson Welles never got control over his movies after Citizen Kane. Yeah. And I think that was the second or third one. And according to him it was totally butchered like they took a whole hour out of it 
Like it was like 80 something minutes. It was supposed to be like over two hours. And apparently the cut that is a, it's supposed to be a classic. I haven't seen it. That is the theatrical cut. Um, apparently the people who have seen the extended cut say that it's like a masterpiece. So it's like one of those famous movies that is like totally like wrapped in controversy. Do the, it, is the final cut available anywhere? Probably. I haven't really looked into it too much. Yeah. But it's very clearly an influence, just the names themselves, right? Yeah. The Magnificent Ambersons, the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. I think the Magnificent Ambersons is about like a, a, a group of a rich family in like the Midwest or something. And okay. they're like, and it's like their downfall. That's cool. Um, it's also inspired by J.D. Salinger's Franny and Zoe, uh, where it's like they're precocious kids. And so that's obviously the Tenenbaums are also precocious yeah. kids. Um, did you know that's how Zoe Deschanel's mom like chose the spelling of oh, her really? name? Yeah. Which makes sense just out there just in the world. Her. Yeah. Uh, future property sister. Oh, God. <laughs> Pieces, uh, <laughs> and he was also uh was Anderson was also inspired by uh e.l koningsberg's classic kids book from the mixed up files of mrs basil e frank weiler um have you ever read that no i've never heard of that before like the kids get they stay overnight in the museum uh the i think it's not the met the um natural history museum so it's night at the museum i guess with ben stiller from royal tenenbaums there you go um that's the frank weiler connection (laughs) (laughs) so royal tenenbaums was shot across 250 different sets in new york city meant to have an ambiguous time setting which i didn't pick up on but now makes total sense looking back on it there are things everywhere from the 1960s to the early 2000s throughout the movie Mm. um and that makes sense with the soundtrack too yeah covering spanning those decades um the i think the house is in harlem okay and it's meant to it kind of looked a little storybookish yeah yeah, so that's what um he liked that and yeah if you look through the movie it really is difficult to kind of get get a finger on the the actual like time it's set in yeah and some people said, I saw one person at least, said that it's very um, 1970s in sort of like a Midnight Cowboy way, which is a movie that we saw pretty yeah. recently, um, which that was a good movie too, actually. Um, very sad movie. Yes. Very sad. Rated, it was the first rated, rated X, X movie to, movie win, to win, win Best Picture. Yeah. Um, and now it would not, not be rated, rated X yeah, at no. all. Um, so, yeah. So I thought that was like super interesting. Yeah, well, I think it sort of ties in with the themes of how these people have stagnated and, like, you know, throughout the movie, like, Luke Wilson's still dressed like it's 1970. You know what I mean? Well, and that's something, too, uh, not to give it away, but this movie did inspire the TV show Arrested Development. Yeah. And one of the things in The Royal Tenenbaums is that these characters, their childhood selves, when they're in the movie, they're wearing the same exact clothes, Mm -hmm. kind of insinuating that they're in a state of arrested development, meaning Uh, they never really got past, broke through that precocious childhood that they had, where they had so much potential and were so, um, uh, you know, excelling in all these things, and they never were able to break past that. So I think that also could contribute to that lack of a time Right. Where they're kind of stuck in the past as time kind of flies mm-hmm. by. Yeah. Mm, good stuff there. Um, There's a lot of those little nuggets in this movie that I think are really, really great and add a lot to the analysis. Yes. This is definitely not hypnotic. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you mean they didn't just throw 45 twists in 90 minutes? <laughs> right. Exactly. No, this is definitely a, a movie that like you could spend a semester. You could watch this movie class. 10 times and still pick up new things. Exactly. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums was released wide in December of 2001, and it was a hit critically and commercially. The movie made $71.4 million on a $21 budget. Million dollar budget. $21 budget. Wow. Uh, I got this 20 but I also have a dollar. Go pick up a couple of Arizona iced teas from the uh, convenience store down the block. <laughs> it was Anderson's most commercially successful film until... Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, in 2014. It currently holds an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, but honestly, some critics were really divided on the success of the film. Um, like how successful the film was. Like artistically? Artistically. Um, some people really liked it. 
and others really didn't. I thought it was excellent, and I can I, like every this type of movie resonates hard with me. You're just like you're super into big family yeah, stuff, yeah, so yeah, um, huge succession sense. fan. It's high, it's like a similar type of a dynamic, you know? Right, Sopranos. Yeah. Um, and it also uh, what's the other show? Gemstones, right? Yeah, Gemstones. Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. It also has a. You might like Downton Abbey, to be honest with Maybe. you, because that's kind of a. It's just a big family and the people that work in, yeah. in the place too. It also has a C minus on Cinema Score. I could see that. I would wonder. I would have to watch the trailer. I wonder I what the trailer it. looked like. This is my guess. My guess is that it got popular and more people were like, ooh, I want to see it. And they just, they didn't know who Wes Anderson was yet. Right. right? We really didn't. It was the first big successful yeah. Wes Anderson movie. So they were just like, what? Yeah. It's kind of like when we saw Book of Mormon. Um, yes. And there, there's always people that are mad when they go see the Book of Mormon on Broadway. And after the intermission, those seats are em- like some seats there's are some empty. Some seats are empty, and it's like, oh, they just thought like, oh, it's this big popular Broadway show. Yeah. Don't realize it's the South Park it's people, the sp- South Park guys <laughs> that made it. So yeah, um, the Royal Tenenbaums was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards, and Gene Hackman won Best As- Actor. Oh, I almost said bad word. Sorry. <laughs> Best actor, musical or comedy at the Golden Globes. But he was not nominated for the Oscar. Interesting. Um, I don't know why. He was really good in this. I'm gonna, you can keep going. I'm going to look, look up. Yeah, I'm going to look up who was up for the Academy Awards that year. It has been seen as an influential film in the years since its release, popping up on best of lists left and right. I think like in a poll that Empire did for yeah. the best movies, this was like number 159 or something like Crazy. that. Um. All right, you want to hear that he won for best supporting actor or actor? I think actor. Best actor that year was Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom. Yeah, great. Uh, which got a bunch of nominations, and that's I, a great I movie it. that no one's seen. Yeah, um, same director as Tar from last year. Uh, yes. Will Smith for Ali. Okay. <laughs> Sean Penn for I Am Sam. Uh, <laughs> that's a very 2001. <laughs> Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind, and then Denzel won for Training Day. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I mean, all right. That's Sean a Penn, hard. That's a hard. Sean Penn at the time. Right. I right. Yeah. Um. And I like that Tom Wilkinson got in there. He would have had a shot maybe for supporting. Um. Uh, maybe not. It was uh, John Voight for Ali, Ian McKellen for Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Ben Kingsley for Sexy Beast, oh. uh, Ethan Hawke for Training Day, and Jim Broadbent won for Iris. I love Jim Broadbent. He's a yeah. great actor. Slughorn in uh, Harry Potter. Is that who he was? He was also the dad in Bridget Jones's Diary. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he was in Paddington. And he's my king in Paddington, obviously. Uh, spoiler for one of my questions later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so the Royal Tenenbaums also even inspired the TV show Arrested Development. And who's the creator again? Um, I forget his name. The creator was like, he saw the Royal Tenenbaums. He goes, oh, well, there goes my idea. Apparently, that was his idea. Like, he really wanted to do that, um, and he was just like, hey, I'll do it anyway, and Arrested Development is very similar to the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, Mitchell Hurwitz. Yes. Just very different in tone, um, and Arrested Development, do you like that show? It is one of the most, it is one of the best written comedies yes. of all time. Yes. But there is no- Heart. No connection. I don't have no. any connection with any of the characters, but they're hilarious. Yeah. Like if it's on TV, I'll watch it and I'll laugh a lot. But I'm not revisiting Arrested Development. That I mean, often. Jessica Waters is amazing. Yeah. Um, and but like there's. I mean, no... they all are. Tony Hale's great. David Cross is great. They're, they're all great. They're all Porsche's great. great. They're all great. Yeah. Isn't Liza Minnelli in it? Yeah, she's uh, Lucille, Lucille too. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've I've seen the show. I think the show is extremely well written and it's like Thirty Rock, and then there's like a joke yes. every two seconds, and the joke is layered. And I have the same opinion about 30 rock like i don't no rewatch there i can't rewatch 30 rock right i'm like, like if it, like i said if there's an episode on tv i'll watch it but i'm not gonna seek it out whereas shows like a show like parks and rec we were just watching it earlier today i'll watch it all the time right agreed um that's why we're married it even that is actually why that was in our vows yeah no <laughs> uh royal tenenbaums is also partially responsible for inspiring a terrible tiktok trend <laughs> where people stand in line in the like the middle of the shot of their phones looking yeah. seriously into the camera and they say that that's a wes anderson type video like really really i think um under under appreciating reductive it's very reductive <laughs> like wes anderson's 
amazing. He but just is. He did. He does do those shots a lot. A lot of those <laughs> things. I mean, when you see those, you know exactly what director. Yeah. Like I said earlier, you know when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie. But I do feel a little bad because it's like that's not. Well, all and, he does. and I, I can especially see that after watching this movie, where like there's so much heart in this movie. Yeah, it's that so. It's much, a lot more than that. It's so much more than that. Like random song that they play where it's like breakfast 806 a.m yeah on my balcony and like <laughs> oh my gosh like stop <laughs> um okay so yeah royal tenenbaums i gotta say kind of slaps kind of slaps i kind of liked it a lot more than the first time i saw it there you go there personal you go. growth baby that's right that's what we're here for give us our summary wait can i first give you the taglines yeah the taglines are good yeah well, one of them's really good. The first one is, you're invited to a remarkable family gathering. Oh, that's fine. That's, that fits. The one I really like is, family isn't a word, it's a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, a great tagline. Again, like I said, pay them. Yes. Pay the tagline writers more. I don't know if they're part of the of the, the strikes right now, but we need to pay, pay them. Pay the tag, ta- tagline writers and the screenwriters what they're worth, please. Yep. All right. I There's so much color in this movie. Not like physical color, but like in the quirkiness and the narrative and all this stuff. I'm going to miss all that with this yep. plot summary. Just for just to remind you guys what uh, is going on in this movie. All right. Royal Tenenbaum, who I didn't know was a character when I, before I watched this name. movie. That is his name. His name is Royal Tenenbaum. Royal Tenenbaum, played by Gene Hackman, is separating from his wife, Ethelyn, played by Angelica Houston. And he's in the course of explaining this to his three children, each of whom was very successful at a young age. Chaz is a young businessman from whom Royal steals money. The adopted Margot is a successful playwright. And Richie is a tennis prodigy and artist. Richie's best friend, Eli Cash, is also their neighbor. I don't think they ever just called him Eli. I feel like it was Eli Cash the whole movie. I love that. Royal shows favoritism towards Richie specifically. And then we get the sort of background. Then we jump forward two decades later. Royal is kicked out of a hotel. And each of the children is in a depressive slump. Chaz, now played by Ben Stiller, is extremely overprotective of his sons, Ari and Uzi, after his wife Rachel died in a plane crash. Margot, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, is now married to an older neurologist named Raleigh St. Clair, played by Bill Murray, who, like, that archetype is so Tobias Funke, like, in in the rest of development. Obviously played much differently. Uh, Richie, played by Luke Wilson... Having had a breakdown during his last pro tennis match, traveled the world and wrote to Eli that he was in love with Margot, his adopted sister, to be clear. When Ethelin's Which ac- originally was not the case, and he changed it to make them adopted. That's a good call. That's probably a good idea. Uh, when Ethelin's accountant, Henry Sherman, played by Danny Glover, proposes to her, Royal claims to have stomach cancer to win back his family. While living not a with, good move. While living with them... Royal takes his grandsons on an adventure involving shoplifting, and Chaz berates him when he finds out. It was a cute scene, though. It was. I don't shoplift, right. but it was a good. It was a very cute scene. Eli, now played by Owen Wilson, with whom Margot has been having an affair, tells her that Richie loves her. Meanwhile, Henry discovers that Royal is faking his illness, and Royal is forced to move out. Richie and Raleigh discover through a private investigator that Margot has a history of smoking and a previous marriage that no one knew about. There's like ten things that go wrong, and Raleigh is like. She smokes. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the one thing that he points out. As a result, Richie shaves his long hair and beard and attempts suicide, but Raleigh finds him and he's rushed to the hospital. At the hospital, Raleigh confronts Margot and leaves, and Richie escapes and meets with Margot to confess his love, and they kiss. Royal has a change of heart, and he arranges for a divorce. And right before Ethelyn and Henry's wedding, Eli, on drugs, crashes his car into the side of the house, nearly killing Ari and Uzi and killing the family dog, Buckley. Enraged at Eli, Chaz chases him through the house and wrestles him to the ground, but they both agree that they need help. Chaz sort of getting over his wife and Eli with his variety of problems, including his drug problem. And they said, let's start in Zoolander together. We got to, yes, yes. In another world, we will be friends. And then we'll be in we'll Night, be fr- uh, Night at the Museum together. Yes. Uh, meet the parents as well. I mean, For, let's just they do came a from, whole They bunch came from Meet films. the Parents. Yeah, into this. let's just do a whole bunch of films together. Chaz thanks Royal for saving his sons and for buying them a Dalmatian from the responding firemen, which is a pretty funny scene. <laughs> uh, Ethelyn and Henry are married in a judge's chambers. Later, Margot releases a play inspired by her family. Eli checks himself into rehab in North Dakota, and Richie teaches a junior tennis program. Chaz becomes less overprotective of his children. 
Royal seems to be on better terms with his family until he has a heart attack at 68, I think mm-hmm. he was, and Chaz is with him in the ambulance as he dies. The family attends his funeral. The epitaph reads that he, quote, died tragically rescuing his family from the wreckage of a destroyed sinking battleship. And that's the end of the Royal Tenenbaums. Yep. Impossible to capture the color in that movie in a plot summary. That was a yeah. really succinct plot summary. I though. took out a whole lot. I was like, what is important here? What is not important? But I actually think you covered most of it. Yeah. But you're right. Like, there's... There's, There's so much stuff going on in between there that, mm-hmm. yeah, that sort of adds to the, the the depth. And I'm gonna, I feel like we can talk about those things as we go. Yeah, you know, I agree. So let's start with my New Jersey connection. This is a good one. I heard it's terrible. Get connected for free, free, the New Jersey connection. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> I made a big mistake when I said. Every movie has so many New Jersey connections. Like, it's impossible to tell you the reach that New Jerseyans have. Point break. <laughs> Point break. I'm still <laughs> in the process of... The Meg I think we had trouble with. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, 12 Angry Men. There were, like, seven New Jersey connections. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, 21 Jump Street was really hard. It was like Ellie... Ellie Kemmerer went to Princeton. Was <laughs> This one's... Better than this one, probably. This one is so bad. So the cast is not huge for this movie. Right. The Wikipedia page does not have many people involved in this movie. Right. So a lot of people are from Texas. That's where Wes Anderson's originally from, right? That's right. And a lot of people. He does not feel like a Texas boy. I know. At all. He's <laughs> lived in Paris since like 2005. He feels much more like a Paris yeah. guy. <laughs> and he lived in New York before then. His whole yeah. adult life he lived in New York. New York makes sense. And there's always people from Philly. And like, we're so close to Philly, but it's still not New Jersey. All right. So here it is. Remember how I said this movie was inspired in part <laughs> by Louis Mal, Right? French French movie yes. guy. Well, he once made a movie called Atlantic City. There you go. <laughs> New Jersey, baby. You 19- can't have the film industry without New Jersey. 1980s Atlantic City. Um, he directed that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. All right. Well, that's the New Jersey connection. And you got connected for free. You didn't even have to pay for it. My New Jersey connection. So that (laughs) (laughs) my first question is thoughts on Wes Anderson movies overall. It's hard for me to say. So like I mentioned i've seen this one now uh i've seen the grand budapest hotel twice and i've seen moonrise kingdom mm-hmm. with mixed results yeah i loved this one the more especially the more that i think about it grand budapest hotel i've seen twice and i've liked twice but i don't really remember a single thing about it other than uh, lobby boy what about saoirse ronan i don't remember her and she makes the like the things and then she's got the scar mm. and then there's the scene where uh what's his name is like skiing I don't remember. Hmm. I've seen it twice. I don't know why I can't. None of the movie doesn't qu- stick with me, but I know I really enjoyed it both times that I watched it. Yeah. And Moonrise Kingdom, I that I did not like. Start that to movie. finish, it like got off on the wrong foot, and then I just didn't like it at all. So, it's sort of how, sort of what I said before. I don't. I wouldn't say I love Wes Anderson movies. I wouldn't say I hate Wes Anderson movies. I'm kind of like he has so many ardent defenders that I want to see more to sort of get the full picture. You know. Well, that leads me to my next part of the question. Are there any that you want to see that you haven't caught yet specifically? You can go to his page if you want and look them up. Well, I'm going to parlay this into my question for you, which was, does this sort of reopen the door for more Wes Anderson movies? Because I know that you haven't been a huge fan. You know, I think it does. I think it does. I am. I have found in my old age... I have become much more open-minded towards revisiting things and opening my opinion up and saying, listen, as a silly 19-year-old, maybe I saw something and didn't like it, but maybe as a 30-something-year-old, I'm going to revisit it and be like, wow, I actually really appreciated it this time. Or the opposite happens occasionally at <laughs> Black Swan. Yeah. Um. Didn't love that on rewatch. No. So I, I'm totally willing to 
rewatch some Wes Anderson movies that I've seen. I haven't seen many of them. I've only also seen Rushmore alongside of the yeah. ones that you've seen. But I I watched that in college or in high school because um I really liked the band Rooney. Yes. And Robert Schwartzman who was in The Princess Diaries, his brother Jason Schwartzman who Oh, was- I think you should leave fame. Yeah, who is in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Oh, yeah, um, especially he, his earlier stuff. Yeah, he also was the drummer in the band Phantom Planet, who did mm. the theme song for the OC, wow. which I also really liked. Got it. So I was like, I need to watch Rushmore because yes. he's the lead in that. And I liked it, but I uh, what do I remember from that? Right. Nothing. I think right. there's like a school dance scene at the end. Yeah. Like, that's all I remember. So I'm totally willing to kind of reopen my Wes Anderson door and watch more of his movies for sure. I've got three for you that I would want to see. My number one that I do want to see is Fantastic Mr. Me Fox. Too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, I really want to see um, Bottle Rocket. His, his first, first one. movie. And I really want to see The French Dispatch. If oh. I had to pick three. Okay. French Dispatch is relatively new. From 2021. Yes. It, Schwartzman's in that one. Or he, he came up with this. He was part of coming up with the story. Um, I think he was he was the lead in Darjeeling Limited, too. It has an absolutely insane cast. Like, just everybody you could think of. Like, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright. This is all the way down the list, too. Willem Dafoe, Edward Norton, Saoirse Ronan. A lot of people he's worked with before. Angelica Houston's in it. Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody. Henry Winkler... Uh, Francis McDormand he goes on. The list goes on. Fisher Stevens is from Hong Succession. Chow in it? Uh, or is Hong, she in the new Hong one? Chow is in Asteroid City. Yeah. And then he has another one coming out. The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar comes out this year as well. Is that a short? No, it's a Netflix movie. I thought it was a like a Roald Dahl short. I don't know if it's a short. Maybe it's a short story that it's based off of. Maybe. Um, I don't know why I thought the movie was maybe like it, thirty-seven minutes. I mean, maybe long. it is. You might be right, but it doesn't say that on uh, Wikipedia. I think he's adapting. Oh, I got there. Yes. It is supposed to be short, a short. That's why I make the big bucks. It's coming out later this month. He's, I think, adapting a few Roald Dahl stories. And I can't think of someone better. To the only adapt other Roald person Dahl. is like Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Who I think that. And he has done stuff like uh, he was involved in James and the Giant Peach, too. Yeah. I don't know if he directed he didn't direct it, it. I think we talked I about that back in the day. I think he was involved. Yeah. Um. But I've said this in the past. I feel like Wes Anderson is like a an updated version of Tim Burton without the – like Tim Burton has a kind of griminess to some of his movies that Wes Anderson doesn't have. But I feel like there's something about their two styles that sticks out to me as being sort of kinship. There's some sort of kinship between Tim Burton and Wes Anderson movies. Something that's really interesting for me is that my favorite – which I've come to appreciate Tim Burton movies a lot more. Um, again, as I've gotten older, I've – kind of realize it's not all um edward scissorhands yeah and which i haven't seen corpse bride yeah. you know like it's it goes beyond that and i thought he did nightmare before christmas which he didn't direct but he again was involved with like that's not just him right like yeah of course we know that now but um something that's interesting to me is that my favorite tim burton movie and my favorite wes anderson movie both deal with family big fish yeah they seem to be very personal. Yeah. And I like when you get the heart mixed with their perspectives and their styles. Well, and even if you think about Beetlejuice, it's got the zaniness to it, but it, at heart it's about making connections with your family or your chosen family. I do love Beetlejuice, but it's yeah. a good movie. Um, Big Fish, though. It was amazing. Batman's great, too. Batman is great. 86 or what, 89? Uh, let's see. What else do I got here? A little bit more uh, with Wes Anderson movies overall. What's your favorite thing about the Wes Anderson movies that you've seen? And what's your least favorite thing? My least favorite thing is that it seems like animals are always dying. Yes, that's me too. Why does the dog always die? I will talk about that later on. I actually understand the purpose of it, I think, in this movie. But overall, I'm just not a huge fan of that. Uh, um, Despite the fact that he has a lot of focus on animals and their significance... Just, we don't need it. I don't need that. Uh, what I do like, I mean, I like the things that people sort of hate about them. Like, that they're sort of, like, they're just different. They're not like any other types of movie. Mm-hmm. And I think whether or not I actually like watching them, I like that something exists that is as creative as his style of 
writing and directing and the cinematography and editing and all that. Mm-hmm. Like he's a singular director. Mm-hmm. And again, whether or not I love all his movies, that's that's a different story. But I love that there's a person with this voice, you know? Yeah, I like that. Um, I agree with... Another thing I don't like, he's not very good at casting non-white people. Yeah, I know. He doesn't have very many movies with prominent non-white characters. I, I Yes, you're correct on that. Um, right. So th- I, we agree on the dislikes. There are things that we think could be improved. For example, not killing animals in yes. your movies as much. Um, my favorite thing about him, his movies, is that every little tiny thing is there with purpose. Yeah. So if the character has a specific outfit, there every little detail on that outfit was done for a reason. Every book that is in the movie in the bookcase is probably mm. picked there for a specific reason. Like in this movie, a lot of the background, like a lot of the wall decor is just like everything is everywhere and there's like so much stuff. But if you look at what's actually on there, like for example, Margot has a lot of zebras on there and I'm going to talk about like animal symbolism later, but there's like zebras that are on the wall and you're like, and she was a zebra in her play when she was a kid. Mm -hmm. So like there's little significant pieces of character, if not plot, then character everywhere in the background, in the foreground, in the words, in the dynamics. Like it's just, he knows how to create a a world. Yeah. And I just appreciate when everything is thought, thought through. Yeah. It's just very cool. Yeah. Good job. So let's see. I have two more questions for you. Um, besides Gene Hackman, who we know Royal was amazing in this. Yeah. He was so good. I love Gene Hackman. Yeah. Who gave 93? He's 93 years old. Still kicking. Still kicking. Um, who gave the best performance in this movie? And I'm, I have two. I think I'm going to say Gwyneth Paltrow. I know. I'm mad about it. I don't like saying it. I know. But she's great. She just inhabits that character really well. Yep. She's my one. Yeah. And then my second is Danny Glover. I was going to say him too. He adds that bit of heart. Yeah. That there is heart in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he is very, you could tell he's there with the best intentions. He loves Angelica Houston and he wants to be with her and he's willing to deal with all of this. Yeah. The whole family, the, all the Tenenbaums in order to, um, to live his life with his partner well i think that's the key too exactly you just hit on it exactly like the the tenenbaums are each stuck in their own neurosis uh they're all so like they can't get out of their own way they're the, all their everything is just weighing on them they're very like they're a very heavy family mm-hmm. and he is our our look at them from the outside to be like yes these people are insane and Probably detrimental to themselves and to each other. This includes Eli, who just wants to be a Tenenbaum. Right. Um, all of these people are self-destructive and self-inhibiting and inhibiting each other. But Danny Glover still loves Ethelin. You know, uh, what's his name? Henry. Still loves Ethelin anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, And he accepts her children. And he even accepts her ex-husband or, you know, who is, separated husband. Who is very rude and racist And very to racist to him. Yeah. Um, and it just goes to show that that character is, he's a saint, honestly. Mm-hmm. He's great. What's interesting to me. It's sort of an anti-typecast with Danny Glover too, where he's always like, I feel like, especially in his later roles, he's like, you know, I'm too old for this. You know, that's what I always think of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. and like, he was like the old grizzled cop and saw a couple years after this. Like he's sort of, um, this is him being, you know, you see he explodes a little bit at, at Royal when he gets goaded into it. But for the most part, he's very chill and he's a very nice guy. And it's sort of not what I would have expected from Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, and like I said, Gene Hackman is just the best in this. And something that's really interesting is Royal as a character. He doesn't seem to think he's a Tenenbaum. Yeah. I think when I think Eli or Owen Wilson uh, when he says, I wish I was, a, I've always wished I was a Tenenbaum. I think Royal says me too. Yeah. Something like that in there. And it is interesting when you kind of look at it, like he acts like someone who feels like he has to prove himself or acts out because he doesn't feel 
like he's as good as everybody else. Yeah. And um, I think if you look at it from that way, it explains a lot of what Royal does. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Uh, my last question is a little bit more on the outside here because we're getting into actual questions about the movie and talking about the movie itself. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, this Look is not that. that. So Margot and Richie Tenenbaum are a popular couple's costume for Halloween. It's a little strange. Very strange. Yes. But, you know, I could see it for your kind of cool indie alternative millennials. Yep. Um. Do you like that or no? No. 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 <laughs> Very much don't like that. What movie-based Halloween couples costumes would you like? What do you want to dress as for Halloween? That's a tough one. Do you have any off the top of your head? I do. Um, mine is you will dress as Paddington. Okay. And I'll dress as a jar of marmalade. Okay. Orange marmalade. Yeah. Not technically a character, but we'll go with it. Yeah. That was mine. Also, you can be Tobin Heath and I'll be like the Saul. <laughs> Tobin Bell. Tobin <laughs> Heath's the women's <laughs> national player. That would make it really weird. Yeah. Um, you're you're Tobin Bell. You're the old guy. John Kramer. And I'm the the <laughs> Billy the puppet or whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Second Saul reference this episode. <laughs> We're like super into Saul. Also, in both of these, you picked something that was inanimate. <laughs> No matter what. Wait, and why am I the inanimate thing both times? You picked it. (laughs) That's so weird. Yeah, I don't know if I really have any. You are Nicolas Cage and I'm Cher in Moonstruck. Okay. Is that. Snap out of it. Is that a good couple? Uh, I mean. (laughs) Kinda. Um, how about we're the parents from my big fat Greek wedding? Okay. You just have a bottle of Windex. I can do that. And then I have the, the bunt cake. Yes. Um, Lainey Kazan, the goat. I'm like, I'm going to be Lainey Kazan, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those are mine probably. Or we can both dress as Packers from Pitch Perfect 2. Oh, yeah. Clay we just Matthews. have to learn how to harmonize. I think we could do it. We have good enough voices that I think we could make it work. <laughs> okay. So those are my ideas. Uh, we could be uh, Mozart and Salieri from, Am- from Amadeus. That's a really good one. <laughs> I would be Salieri for sure. Yeah, I'll be Mozart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay anybody Um, else i see like all of mine are just like like frenemies like the guys from point break that's cool (laughs) i don't know if i have like a like a couple what what couples do i like in movies how about you're greg and i'm tanya from white lotus okay it's not a um not a great (laughs) relationship it's also not a movie but then yeah no that's fair or how about i'll be we could do tony and carmella I would love to be Carmela, <laughs> or it could be Christopher and Adriana. Mm. I think I'd rather be Tony and Carmela. Okay, I'll wear the fur. Yeah, faux fur. Yeah. Um, with the nails, that'll be great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but if you don't want to be Greg and Tanya, we can be Tanya, and you could be Valentina. So then I'll say, "Oh, do I look? Who do I look like? I'm Monica Vitti," and you go, "Peppa, Peppa Pig." Pig. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, I think we've got some ideas. For Absolutely, next month. we're gonna have to start. Yeah, we're gonna have to start getting the getting the ball rolling here, it's especially cute. if we're gonna do the faux fur. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's all your questions. Yeah. That's <laughs> all right, that's a good way to end one. Okay. Do you like ensembles like this? Depends. Yeah. Like I hated Rat Race when I saw it back. <laughs> in the I loved Rat Race. I'm sure it doesn't age well, but I loved it. Same year, I think. Maybe. I think it was 01. It depends. I think that if it's done like. If it's done super purposefully, like, yeah. But, like, like if it's a Robert Altman movie, yeah, of course I love an ensemble. Yeah. If it's Ocean's 12. The problem, I think, with ensembles is that it takes a great writer to make you care about the characters. Because you're looking at it and you're like, oh, my God, that's George Clooney. Oh, my God, that's whoever, you know? And then you're looking at them as George Clooney or as Brad Pitt or whatever. Mm -hmm. And without doing anything more to distinguish them as a character. Like, cause you can watch this and be like, Oh, it's Ben Stiller, but they do so much in this yeah, movie to you, establish Chaz as a character. That right. is Chaz. It's not Ben Stiller. Well, and I think that's why I like ensembles in TV shows. Yeah. Easily. There's, there's enough time. Exactly. The fact that, and a Robert Altman movie is eight hours long. Yeah. So it's interesting <laughs> that Wes Anderson was able to do this in less than two hours. Right. And it, it also, 
makes me curious about the French Dispatch and uh, Asteroid City because those I think have especially huge casts and they're everyone's famous because he's Wes Anderson now, right. you know. And I'm a little worried that those movies are everything sort of dilutes itself mm-hmm. when there's so many stars. Well, my dad planned yes a date for my mom and him to go to Princeton. They went to uh, the movies, to the local indie theater there. Then they went out to dinner, and there were two movies playing. One of them was like the creation of the Blackberry. The Blackberry, movie? Yeah. yeah. And then, and then the latest Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City. So they went, and my dad just texts weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and did. he really liked Grand Budapest Hotel. I think that he just keeps giving them chances. Yeah. And Royal Ten and Bombs, I think he would like. But my, my thing with Asteroid City is, I think it's. I've only seen the trailer. I think it's hideous looking. It's just sandy, and it's supposed to be. And y'all know I hate sand. Yeah, but it's like it, there's there's a, it's seemingly a um, uncharacteristic lack of color in that movie as compared to other Wes Anderson movies, but I'll have to watch it. I don't don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'll probably watch it eventually. Eventually. Okay. Speaking of which, what do you think is the best Wes Anderson cast? I'm I'm not saying like best characters, whatever, because we haven't seen all of them, but just names on paper. So this one is really good. This one is great. Because everybody's a hit. Like, yeah, everybody's a star, but they even got the star from freaks and geeks. Yeah. It's true. Who was uh, Bill Murray's patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one is really, really good. And the star power is so strong. Like, wow. Fantastic Mr. Fox, though, has Meryl Streep and George Clooney as a married couple in it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're foxes. Like, how can you beat that? Well. Like, sorry, I, I don't want to be mean, but like when you're doing Darjeeling limited and like two of your main people are like Luke Wilson and Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. I'm not going to pick that one. Right. I think they're a really strong addition to an ensemble, but you know what I mean? Yeah. If Bill Murray's the lead in this aquatic, whatever the life aquatic. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the ones I wrote because it's got Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum and Michael Gambon in it as well. In addition to, Owen Wilson, Angelica Houston, and uh, you know some of the other normal collaborators. That's pretty good. Yeah, I so like, like a Defoe. I De- like a Cape. Well, Defoe was in Grand Budapest Hotel also with Ray Fine and who's nuts. Uh, He's great in that. <laughs> Tilda Swinton, uh, Saoirse Ronan. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, Edward Norton. So there's like a million people, and then Asteroid City. Yeah, Jason Schwartzman I think is listed first, but there's also Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston. There's a ton of a ton of people. I think it's just whatever everyone in Hollywood like, has been in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, like. and a lot of people have been in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. So I don't know. Timmy Chalamet was in French Dispatch, like I said. Yeah. I'm like what? <laughs> we love Timmy. Yeah, we're. T- I'm a Timmy fan. I like Timmy. I don't dislike Timmy. No, I like him too. He's in the tabloids recently, though. He is. Yeah. I saw a weird meme about it. Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, so my only other question is uh, was asked to us from our friends at Seeing Faces in Movies on Instagram. They do a it's an interesting podcast. They do like a director or a cinematographer each month and they do four of their movies, like one a week. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Um so they asked us who is your favorite Tenenbaum? Which is I mean, we can interpret that in so many ways. I I'm going to go with my my favorite the character I think is the best developed and again, I'm going to I think I'm going to go with Margot. Yeah. I think that Margot is it's she's so a product of an outsider who just wants to be a part of something so much and when she's rejected she just rebels. And that's her entire it's her entire life. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's perfectly done. Yeah. I'm going to go with Royal because I think that all he wants too is the attention and the um appreciation of his family and the acceptance of his family and he rebels but in a very different way um so instead of doing everything that margot does which she's she does all kinds of crazy stuff he uh becomes like a pathological liar (laughs) he 
uh, tries to win over the affections of his grandkids by helping them shoplift. And he kind of does. And he does. And they love him, which he's a fun grandpa. <laughs> uh, he does all these crazy different things to try to get that acceptance of his family, even trying to get his wife back, even though he doesn't really, he doesn't really want his he doesn't wife really back. Want his wife back. Um, and it just shows you really where his motivations are and kind of that lack of having that appreciation and that acceptance his whole life, even with the family that he created. But did he lie about smoking cigarettes his whole life? His whole life. Since she was 12. She yeah. started when she was 12. Yeah. That's so funny to me because like, who cares? Like after after a certain amount of time, it's just her own thing with herself that is her raging against the machine, you know? Yeah. Sometimes people, I think, really like to be enigmas. Yeah. And they like to be mysterious. Mm-hmm. I have never had that inclination myself. <laughs> so I've always I've asked you like a million times over the years, like, am I mysterious? No. Do I surprise you? No. No. Apparently I don't. <laughs> <laughs> have I ever had a secret in my life? No. I wouldn't know because it would be a secret. I really haven't. <laughs> I really have not. So I I find Margot very intriguing in that way too. Like she's willing to keep a secret, like a really big one because she smokes like hardcore. A lot. How do a they not lot. smell it? Yeah. <laughs> but that's and like the, kind of the joke. Yeah, of course. And the fact that like that's well, it's also connected to they don't care about her as much you right. know no one's paying um, any attention because no her. one's paying attention right not that they don't care but yeah they're not paying attention to her so i yeah Margot is definitely second on my list yeah and i love royal as a character he's a racist but <laughs> he's a yeah. good character yeah okay so that's it that's all i've got for questions so what i'll do next is i'll save my deep dive for the end we'll do roger ebert do you see what he gave it Three and a half. Three and a half out of four. My king. Yeah. He, I actually really loved his review for this Remember movie. Remember when he liked the notebook? Oh, man. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> he wrote, trying to understand the way this flywheel comedy tugs at the heartstrings, I reflected that uh, eccentricity often masks deep loneliness. All the bombs are islands entire of themselves. Consider that Margot has been a secret smoker since she was 12. Why bother? Nobody else in the family cares, and when they discover her deception, they hardly notice. Her secrecy was part of her own strategy to stand outside the family to have something that was her own. One of the pleasures of the movie is the way it keeps us a little uncertain about how we should be reacting. It's like a guy who seems to be putting you on and then suddenly reveals himself as sincere, so you're stranded out there with an inappropriate smirk. You can see this quality on screen in a lot of Owen Wilson's roles, in the half-kidding, half-serious way he finds out just how far he can push people. The movie's strategy of doubling back on its own emotions works mostly through the dialogue. Consider a sort of brilliant dinner table conversation where Royal tells the family he has cancer. They clearly don't believe him or care. He says he wants to get to know them before he dies. The bitter Chaz says he's not interested in that, and Royal pulls out all the stops by suggesting they visit their grandmother. Now watch how it works. Chaz and Richie haven't seen her since they were six. Margot says piteously that she has never met her. Royal responds not with sympathy, but with a slap at her adopted status. She wasn't your real grandmother. See how this appeal turns on a dime into a cruel put-down? And it's like, that's crazy. And so he finishes by saying, The Royal Tenenbaums is at heart profoundly silly and loving. It stands in amazement at the Tenenbaums, and their extended family unveil one strategy after another to get attention, carve out space, and find love. It doesn't mock their efforts, dysfunctional as they are, because it understands them and sympathizes. Beautiful. Yeah. I liked how he sort of went into the actual screenplay of it, like mm-hmm. part of it too. It's, it is sort of just the whole movie is disorienting, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, it's just sort of like you never, qu- you can never quite pin people down really until the final act when everything kind of sort of heals a little bit. Well, and isn't that life? Right? Yeah, honestly. Okay. Top five trivia. I had one. The one that I didn't write down was that um, Wes Anderson told Gene Hackman that this was going to be fun. And Gene Hackman said he was sort of ready, getting ready to retire, and he just wanted to do a few fun roles. He wanted to work with Wes Anderson, and he hated it. He hated the filming of this movie mm-hmm. so much, and he was like very like mean to Wes Anderson yeah. and, and Bill Angelica Murray Houston, and Angelica yeah. Houston. And Bill Murray had to like like be in, like keep him in check like the whole time they were filming. And then Wes Anderson said in an interview later on, he was like, "I'm just really sad that I didn't get to make this fun for Gene Hackman." Like mm-hmm. so, it clearly this role. <laughs> was is a lot deeper than 
than yeah. he had anticipated when he signed on for the movie. That's why he had to do Welcome to Mooseport. Yeah, I mean, working with Ray Romano, that would cheer anybody up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my top five trivia. That's why Phil is so happy. <laughs> Phil Rosenthal. Somebody feed him. <laughs> okay. So in the movie, in the very beginning, uh, Royal shoots Chaz with a BB, right? Mm-hmm. And later on, they show the BB in his yeah, it's hand. Yeah, so gross. The hand that is seen with the BB lodged in between its knuckles is not Ben Stiller's, but it's Andrew Wilson's, brother of Owen and Luke. When they were children, Owen fired a BB gun at his hand, and it got stuck, and it's been there ever since. There you go. Well, (laughs) Owen Wilson co-wrote the movie. We know where he got that from. The original Hawk used to play Mordecai, who was Luke Wilson's uh, bird that flies away, um, was kidnapped during shooting and held for ransom. Yeah, by a New Jersey resident. Oh, my God. That's the New New Jersey Jersey connection. connection. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's it. <laughs> Took a while. New Jersey guy stole the hawk. <laughs> Mordecai. Production couldn't wait for him to be returned. The bird that appears later in the movie has more white feathers and they make a note of it. They even mention the fact that it has more white feathers because it's a different bird. There you go. Yeah. New Jersey connection for free. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout the movie, everyone wears the same 1970s era clothing. Richie wears a Fila tennis shirt and headband that Bjornborg made famous around 1976. Wes Anderson did this intentionally, so the Tenenbaums would appear trapped in their heyday while time moves on. Mm. Much of the setting, including gypsy cabs and green line buses, fits that theme. There you go. That's what we talked about earlier. Yep. Ben Stiller asked co-writer and director Wes Anderson why his character and his sons wore red tracksuits. Anderson replied that because Chaz was so obsessed with safety after the death of his wife, red would make everyone easier to see in case of an emergency. But Anderson later admitted on the DVD commentary that he had no real reason behind the costumes. He just always imagined those characters in red tracksuits. There you go. And finally, uh, Danny Glover, Luke Wilson, and Owen Wilson all turned down parts in Ocean's Eleven to appear in this film. Good for them. <laughs> uh, and my one casting uh, was the one person who turned down the role of Royal. Did you see who it was? Um, I know Gene Wilder was It was considered. Gene Wilder. Yeah. He turned it down because he was, he was retired. Yeah. He said, no thanks. He would have been good too. Yeah, he would have. So that's my trivia. And then I just have my last little sort of deep dive segment, which as I have alluded to, is about the animal symbolism and the deep dives get us more views on instagram yes so we're gonna keep doing them <laughs> that guy from dodgeball liked our post the other day he liked two Dwight. posts. he liked two yeah oh wow yeah. good for us yeah all right i kind of love the absurd way that anderson sort of structures the reactions to uh royal's failure as a father and just their past trauma in general uh, with each member of the core family, Anderson assigns an animal symbol or something adjacent to that, which uh, sort of corresponds to each person's personality. So first, Chaz carries two main wounds that we see in this movie. He has Royal's neglect from when he was a child, and he has the death of his wife, Rachel. As a response, Chaz has created clones of himself to keep close, Ari and Uzi, both of whom wear the same red tracksuit and have the same hair, in part hoping to avoid passing on the neglect he felt from his father, but the, but the opposite extreme yields the same result. The kids are as emotionally and creatively stifled as Chaz was, if not more so. He's symbolized by the black and white mice, which earlier in the movie, he, when he was a kid, he basically like bred this like these Dalmatian mice who had like wh- who were white with like black spots or whatever. And to me, that was like he's had the color sucked out of him by his dad, mm-hmm. so he's black and white. Well, something else interesting about him too. You mentioned the wounds. Yeah. Right. He also has that physical wound of the BB, of the BB. between his. Uh, knuckles Which symbolizes so, and he's never going to forget that yes so when the family dog buckley dies uh, at the end when uh, eli hits it with a car buckley's sort of the last vestige of the like the memory of his wife besides the kids like he's that last connection to that uh and so he he's able to sort of accept the dalmatian from his dad and sort of start to move on and heal mm-hmm. um and he this allows them to kind of settle into a more complicated adult father-son relationship uh and i'm sure you don't see it but it's it feels like he was loosening up on his kids after that too mm-hmm. it feels like that moment while again we don't like when dogs get killed in movies seems like a, a thing that is sort of like ripping the band-aid off almost and just being like it's time to move on mm-hmm. you know um and you see that Chaz and Royal's relationship has improved by the end simply by the fact that who's the one in the ambulance with Royal when he dies? It's Chaz. Uh, and Chaz is the one who throughout the movie has been the most resistant to reconciling with him throughout. Like when he says he has cancer, Chaz is basically like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But he, of course he does care, but he's putting on that front. Right. Margot, 
Uh, also, I think I didn't write it here, but I think that obviously the Dalmatian is kind of like a more tangible black and white image from, you know, sort of growing up from the mice, you know, uh, so that I think that the mice and the Dalmatian symbolize Chaz and his kids. Not to mention Dalmatians are used with fire departments and fire departments help when there's dangerous situations. Yeah. And they wear red. And they wear red. <laughs> Margot's animal is the zebra, as I alluded to earlier. There are zebras everywhere. She casts herself when she's like nine years old as a zebra in one of her plays. Um, she has sort of zebra wallpaper all around uh, when she's an adult. This is another black and white wilder version of the mice that represent Chaz. In contrast to Chaz, who sort of shrinks, Royal's neglect turned Margot into this type of rebel, rebel to the point where no one knew she smoked cigarettes for most of her life. Because her abilities have been so stifled, though, she grows up to marry a successful man who represents a surrogate father and who she does not love. Like, there's no real connection between the two of them. She continues to rebel and resist against him as well to the point of driving him away in the form of, like, affairs and all that. The zebras themselves appear as a form of rebellion as well. Shortly after watching her play when she was younger, Royal made fun of it, calling it just a bunch of kids in little animal costumes, and that really kind of cut her deep. She took that comment to heart, integrating zebras into her aesthetic as a way to undercut Royal's denigration. Richie, of course, is represented by his bird, Mordecai. As a child, Richie is Royal's favorite, but when we meet adult Richie, he's doing his best to put a distance between himself, pressure from Royal, and his secret love for Margot. After his breakdown on the tennis court, he's out on a cruise, he's traveling the world. This mirrors when he sets Mordecai free. Uh, when does Mordecai come back? After Richie shaves his head, freeing himself from sort of royal's expectations, society's expectations. And after he comes to term with, terms with and expresses his love for Margot, that's when Mordecai comes home. Uh, it was only then that both he and Mordecai were ready to sort of move on and start, start anew. Royal also has an animal counterpart, the boar's head that hangs on the wall. Ethelin first has it removed when Royal leaves, and then it's put back on the wall when he returns. That one's a little bit more on the nose. Uh, Royal's pretty much a pig <laughs> who <laughs> thinks he's more important than he actually is, like he's up framed on the wall. Um, two of the main group don't have clear animal representations, but sort of something adjacent. Ethelin's job is that she's an anthropologist. April's making weird noises. Ethelin's a bit more detached from the human zoo that is the Tenenbaum family. The main issues don't tend to stem from her actions, but she is there as an observer and a wrangler when things go awry, like when she kicks Royal out for good. Eli Cash, the friend and neighbor who always wanted to be a part of the Tenenbaums, has crafted his adult persona into not an animal, but a cowboy seeking to wrangle and harness the essence of the Tenenbaums. Uh, in doing so, he has become the hollow inverse of their childhood success successes. He's the commercially successful but critically panned author of a bunch of Western novels, and they called him the James Joyce of the West. Ironically, as a result of his efforts, he's more successful than any of the Tenenbaums as an adult, but there's no satisfaction or fulfillment here. Um, you know, while he has a secret relationship with Margot for a while, he's never able to truly tame her zebra nature, uh, and he hits rock bottom in his, in his addiction. Either fittingly or ironically, he ends up out West, like all of his novels, in North Dakota in rehab. Mm. did you write that i wrote most of it that's very good i i had sort of an inkling of some of these ideas as i was watching and i sort of poked around and they're i sort of aggregated from a, from some stuff that i saw online um but yeah no it was mostly me good job tom yeah so that's that's the uh analysis of the animal symbolism in the royal, the royal tenenbaums i think that's it yeah i think that's all i've got i don't have any like individual notes gorge all right so does the royal tenenbaums make baby's first watch list yeah yeah definitely this is so one that I, I would like to i mean there's some content in here but like yeah when he's mature enough to sort of understand situations like this i would say sure i find it my, i haven't again i haven't watched the trailer but i feel like the trailer was probably setting it up as like a quirky comedy yeah and it's and then, not it's, it's they, he sort of brought the hammer it is funny one. it is there's a lot of funny parts in this but movie. it's a comedy drama for sure and again i don't think that the world really knew what wes anderson was at this point yet right maybe he didn't even know who knows do you oh. have any takeaways yes so for my child i would say this if you feel um like you are lonely separated you don't really know your place in the world or where you belong in it just know that that's how most people feel or have felt at one time. And it's okay to have to search to find your place in the world and within 
your family. And it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. And it's okay to say, you know, to your parents or sibling or whoever it ends up being like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not okay. And that's okay. And it's okay. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Which is not going to be, hopefully there's no Royals in this house. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No. (laughs) All right. So that is the Royal Tenenbaums. I'm very glad we watched this one. So thank you guys for voting and for picking it. Uh, We always love when people give some input. Um, And yeah, uh, I thought this was a great movie. Me too. So next week, we are going to go back a few years uh, from 2001 to 1996's Matilda. Woo! Directed by Danny DeVito, starring Mara Wilson, Danny DeVito, uh, Rhea Perlman, and others. Have you read this book? I've not read the book, but I've seen the movie. The book's great. The movie's a little different. I would I would imagine. And then the play, the musical, which has just become a musical movie, is more like the original book. Okay. Yeah. I feel like this is probably darker than the book. No, it's Roald Dahl, so maybe not. No. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So next week is going to be Matilda. Um. So yeah, but like Aaron mentioned, we've had a, a lot of views on our, some of our recent clips. So if you're new, welcome. And, you know. We hope you stick around and, you know, rate, review, subscribe, follow, do all that stuff. Um, yeah, so this was Royal Tenenbaums, and we'll be back next week, next Tuesday, for Matilda. Goodbye. See you later. <laughs>